Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us on this episode of the Iowa Pharmacy Association's What, Why, and How podcast. My name is Seth Brown, and I am the Director of Public Affairs with IPA, and it is great to join you all today. As is tradition, we, of course, have IPA's Pharmacy Muscle Senior Policy Advisor, Brett Barker. Hi, Brett. Hi, Seth. How are you doing? Doing well. And joining us for this podcast, we have a very special guest to explain the what, why, and how of the latest Board of Pharmacy meeting that took place on October 25th. The top dog himself, Executive Director of the Iowa Board of Pharmacy, Andrew Funk. Pleasure to have you on, Andrew. I'm glad to be here. It's nice to see both of you. Great. You got big so shoes to fill. Sue does a rock star job, Andrew. So <laughs> I have no doubt I will fail miserably. <laughs> I, have but I will do my best. <laughs> well, let's let's dig into it. Um, so, Andrew, a common misconception about the board is that it's only a big, scary disciplinary committee that pharmacists never want to engage with. Could you provide listeners an overview of the different things the board does and the various facets of your position as the executive director? Yeah, yeah, Seth, I I, I think that's probably fair. You know, there there is a there is certainly a misconception out there that you know we as a board are you know strictly punitive in nature and. Uh, you know, I have I have worked um, in my capacity as director over the last several years to um, hopefully change change that. I know that uh, you know just by nature we are a regulatory body and we are here to protect the public. Um, and certainly there are instances where um, you know disciplinary action that uh, uh, that the board needs to take is necessary in order for um, the public to be adequately protected. However. Um, you know, primarily what we what we do or how we protect the public is um, is through a more um, comprehensive educational approach to a lot of the regulations that we uh, or that the board promulgates. Uh, we do that through an active inspection process. Uh, we have um, a capacity of eight eight pharmacists who are compliance officers um, that work across the state. Uh, with pharmacies to help educate them on any new regulations that the board um, promulgates, as well as um, offering um, tips to uh, how or how tips to how pharmacies can can comply. Um, and there are instances where you know activity is uncovered that's uh, you know too egregious to be addressed simply through an educational approach, but um, primarily those inspections are intended to um, bring to light. Uh, deficiencies within practice, deficiencies within the drug distribution process that maybe are are lacking in compliance with established regulations and working with those pharmacies to get them to a point of being compliant. So I don't want to go as far to say that the that the board is um, you know is is simply there to educate because that wouldn't be true. Um, there there is a need for enforcement and. And I think the board does a, a, a judicious job at making sure that that's balanced and and uh, isn't um, overly critical and punitive um, to, to the licensees across the state. Uh, in addition to you know the enforcement, we we certainly um, uh, handle other uh, activities as well. One of the one of the items that um, that we work with, of course, is the prescription monitoring program. Um, we've got staff that's dedicated specifically to that to ensure that the uh, uh, controlled substances that are getting reported 
um, are, are adequately reported, timely reported, and then and that information is made available to practitioners across the state. And we also um, have an impaired practitioner program uh, that's, in, that's, you know, hopefully um, uh, a resource for pharmacists that might be struggling with mental health or substance abuse or um, burnout. Uh, you know, this is a program that um, is available to any licensee of the board. It's intended to uh, develop or, or establish guardrails for that pharmacist so that uh, he or she can, can practice safely and uh, also to ensure that they're getting the help that they need. So that program is available for, to pharmacists, to interns, to pharmacy technicians. It's completely confidential. Um, there, there is no uh, direct line of path to the board enforcement side of things. It is it is completely separate from 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 that aspect of of operations. So, you know, those are some things that hopefully listeners can can appreciate and and uh, recognize that you know we are not here simply to take licenses away. As a matter of fact, we're here to give licenses out to ensure that you know folks that are practicing are are appropriately trained educated and have the uh, uh the skills and abilities to do so safely thanks andrew and as someone who's worked with multiple state boards i will definitely say that you know the iowa board does a good job and the staff does a great job of proactively working with pharmacies and licensees when they have questions and want to move towards compliance and so i think that that's one thing that I personally, is if you're in doubt, reach out to the board. Um, they want to help you be compliant. Um, a lot of people, I think, are afraid to because they don't want to ask the board questions. Um, but, but I think that's important, that educational piece that you hit on. Um, speaking of that, uh, at the board meeting Tuesday in your executive directory report, you mentioned USP 795-797 update publishing November 1st. Some of our listeners may know that this uh, issue goes back probably five or six years and has quite a history with that. So can you elaborate on the update and what that may mean for Iowa pharmacies? Yeah, yeah, you bet. So um, USP, of course, United States Pharmacopeia, they are a standard setting organization. Um, and for and most of the listeners that are listening to the podcast, um, what what we are, are typically familiar with are USP chapters 797, 795, and 800. Those three are most commonly referred to, and those are the, the chapters that are specific to compounding practices. Um, about six, seven, maybe even eight years ago, the Board of Pharmacy had separate regulations um, specific to pharmacy compounding, um, sort of incorporated some of the standards that were identified in USP, and then you know, sort of wrote its own regulations outside of that. And that became um, really difficult to manage. And so, uh, at the time, there was an initiative to uh, create a uh, regulation framework that would refer to those standards for compounding as opposed to trying to um, line item each one out uh, in regulation. So if there are pharmacies compounding out there, um, the regulations that uh, are currently on the books um, require that those pharmacies compound in accordance with the standards that are set by USP, um, 795 for non-sterile compounding and 797 for sterile compounding, of course, handling of hazardous drugs, um, chapter 800. Um, the, the mention of the report um, is, is relative to the 
um, publication of updates to USP 795 and 797, which is expected to be published on November 1st. Um, one of the things that uh, that we as the board will, will intend to do is um, create a, a, uh, uh, a resource that highlights some of those changes um, and uh, disseminate that out to our pharmacies across the state that are compounding so that they have awareness of uh, those new standards and that um, uh, they can they can begin implementing some practice changes if necessary in order to uh, comply with those standards. Thanks, Andrew. The board also adopted a rule on inspections of outsourcing uh, facilities and change of ownership. First, could you explain what an outsourcing facility is? Uh, then can you tell us about what this rule does and why it was adopted? Yep. Um, so outsourcing facilities kind of in, in the most simplistic form is a compounding enti an entity that compounds human prescription drugs intended to be sterile um, that uh, can distribute those products on a non-patient specific basis. Uh, these entities really kind of fill the gap between a manufacturer and a pharmacy. Um, so they're the products they create uh, are not subjected to the new drug application requirements that uh, are found with the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. Um, outsourcing facilities are commonly referred to as 503B facilities. Uh, the, um, that, and that refers to the specific section of the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, Section 503B. Um, outsourcing facilities are, because of their um, uh, higher likelihood of distributing large quantities of sterile preparations, especially on a non-patient specific basis, are required to abide by higher standards um, related to um, drug compounding. Uh, so requirements for outsourcing facilities are that they abide by the same standards that manufacturers abide by, and those are current good manufacturing practices. Um, so the rules that uh, that we uh, that we adopt the most recent board meeting are specific to those outsourcing facilities. We currently have 40 outsourcing facilities licensed by the board. They're all located outside of the state of Iowa. There's about 100, give or take, that are currently registered with the FDA as an, as an outsourcing facility. But the rules are intended to ensure that the board is given um, the necessary information to ensure that that outsourcing facility is in fact complying with current good manufacturing practices. Most importantly, that these these outsourced facilities supply a an inspection report um, that that shows compliance with um, with current good manufacturing practices, and that that inspection report is recent um, and 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 has been performed within the last two years. Um, that gives the board. Um, you know, some assurity that these organizations that are either seeking licensure or seeking renewal um, are are operating as as they should be. Of course, it's not it's not practical uh, for the board to send inspectors out to other states. So there is a certain degree that we need to rely on other states ability to inspect these facilities or um, if as the rules indicate, there are other options for this for the outsourced facilities to supply that that needed inspection report. But ultimately, again, it's to ensure that the products that these that these entities are are providing into the state of Iowa are done so under the standards that we expect them to to compound. And at I will the board meeting, 
So, sorry, just just really quickly, and some, a little bit of background to how these outsourcers came into existence. Um, any listeners that uh, are are interested in in some history on that, I, I highly recommend a book um, entitled Kill Shot, uh, and that's written by uh, Jason Duran. Um, this this book sort of outlines the New England Compounding Center disaster that. Um, caused the death of uh, almost 100 people and sickened nearly 800. Uh, it was based on a on a uh, uh, compounding practice that was quite reckless, and fungal meningitis was um, uh, was contaminated within the uh, the steroids that this um, this pharmacy was producing, and they were producing amounts that were you know, above, well above beyond what you would expect, you know, a pharmacy to do when you're thinking about compounding. So a little bit of history there, if anyone's interested, it's a great book. It's an easy read. Awesome. Thank you for the recommendation. The board issued a notice of intended action on amendments to implement changes to Iowa code made during the 2022 legislative session, which was actually a fun bill for us at IPA to work on and help give it a little boost there across the finish line. But can you explain what the legislation is and why it was adopted? Yeah, um, so this this was an issue that um, we were kind of wrestling with as 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 administrative staff, the board, um, and this question about um, immunizations and can nurses provide immunizations under the direction of a pharmacist? And as we were um, looking at that uh, in, in, in creating an opinion on where the laws stood, there really wasn't any framework that um, provided a, a nurse to operate uh, under the authority of a pharmacist or, or under the order um, that was originated by a pharmacist is, is probably more accurate um, uh, language. And so what we were doing to sort of circumvent some of those disconnects um, we were registering nurses as pharmacy technicians, and that provided then um, a, a pathway for pharmacists to delegate uh, a technical function, which is administration of immunizations to a, a technician. And so um, we, we uh, the board created a bill that would, uh, that identified a, a scope of practice for nurses to include um, operating under the order of a pharmacist, uh, specifically to immunizations and um, uh, uh, statewide protocols. Uh, and so that bill alleviated the need for the board to sort of dual authenticate a healthcare professional um, in order for those to those nurses to practice under the order of a pharmacist. So hopefully reducing the regulatory burden, certainly thankful to IPA for, for getting that, uh, moving that forward there at the end of session. Um, and you know there were there were approximately four four hundred nurses that were working across the state that we had um, registered, and so this alleviates a need for a duplicative registration. Great. Well, is there anything else from the meeting or any updates you'd like to share with listeners? No, I think uh, I, I think that's I think that that pretty well sums it up. Those are some great questions, and I'm glad we were able to connect and and uh, summarize. Um, the most recent actions of the board. Absolutely. Well, if you have nothing else, I guess we'll call it a podcast. Thank you, Andrew, for coming on. Uh, and thank you, listeners, for joining us on the What, Why, and How podcast. Uh, we hope you join us on the next episode.